Hello, this is the audio-only version of the Council on Future Conflicts. If you prefer video, please join us on the Future Conflicts channel on YouTube. If you'd like to watch the show live and participate in the chat, the show begins at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, as well as a special Saturday evening show at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, sharing our show with friends, and reviewing us on your podcasting app of choice. Now on with the show. Good morning, everybody. This is Scott from uh, the Future Conflict YouTube channel. Uh, this is uh, the Council on Future Conflict, and it is the Ukraine War Day 89. Just so you guys know, I know you guys have come to to kind of <clears throat> follow the Ukraine War Days. Um, probably this will be the last week of us keeping count on the Ukraine war numbers, and we'll probably move to an episode... You know, like a CFC episode, whatever. We'll, so we'll have to go back and actually do some basic arithmetic to uh, to count that down and figure out what's what. To, so we can figure out how many episodes we have. So, um, you know, because the idea is we had a little meeting on Saturday and we are we are slowly getting more organized. Um, we uh, we now have a kind of a, a schedule that. Uh, that shows two weeks out, you know, what what topics we're going to uh, talk about. And and those topics are, are flexible. I mean, the idea is unless something blows up in the world, um, we've got these topics. And so uh, the idea is, is that, um, you know, once this council kind of gives, gives its uh, once over on the topics, then we're going to put the topics into the uh, the calendar feature on the Gilded server. So if you're not over on the Gilded, definitely go check that out because that's where you'll be able to kind of look ahead and see what topics that we're planning on doing. Um, and uh, and so anyway, you know, as we kind of refine our topics or uh, add uh, guests, uh, things like that, um, we will uh, continue to update the calendar. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're, you know, we are always at the available to call an audible. There will be some days when, you know, um, you know, Pakistan attacks India. Well, we'll probably talk about that. Um, and what does that mean? So, you know, there will be certain topics that will definitely kind of uh, overcome the schedule. Um, that, that, and that doesn't mean we won't talk about the things that are on the schedule because you guys, you know, everybody's got their certain areas that they're kind of interested in hearing about or talking about. Um, and so just because something gets pushed off of one day doesn't mean it won't come back uh, in the near future. Um, the other thing that we're doing is we're building in bonus segments. So the idea is, is that, you know, nominally, if you guys have been uh, hanging out with us for a while and, and looking at the chat, I can see a lot of great uh return viewers uh, appreciate you guys um so if you're familiar with the show you know we go about two hours plus right and sometimes we've been known to go as long as three hours um i mean sometimes we get on a roll uh, but the idea is is we're gonna break the the show up into some information up front uh, you know we'll probably c continue the map segment even if we uh, start to feature other areas besides just ukraine um, and then we'll do three segments. And then the idea is, is that we may have bonus segments at the end of the show. Um, so, for instance, uh, that bonus segment may be a fourth segment. 
um, and we may even go a little long on it. And the idea is, is that the, on the vi that'll be available live, uh, but after a f couple hours uh, on the video on demand, we're going to chop that ending bonus segment off, and it will be only available on the locals. As you know, we have now have a locals, so that's another thing I want to make sure everybody's uh, tracking. Um, and if you, somebody can put the uh, link to the locals in the chat, I'd appreciate that. Um, go on over there and uh, subscribe to us on locals. Um, you know, you don't have to join. There will be uh, content for free, uh, but there will also be premium content. You know, you know, the idea is is there will be some written and video products that will be available only for premium uh, view, uh, members over there on Locals. And we're also in the process of setting up a website as well. So we are slowly but surely kind of uh, growing the community uh, that surrounds uh, the Council on Future Conflict and the Future, Future Conflict uh, YouTube channel. So appreciate you guys um, helping us kind of get us to where we are today. And we're going to do everything we can to do right by you guys. Okay, that's enough of that uh, promotional stuff. Stan, good morning. How are you doing? You're muted. Yep. Yes, I am. Yep, uh, the infamous tab behind the ear. Um, hope everybody had a good weekend. Those of you who... Uh, did anybody was anybody on our group or anybody in the chat anybody at farmageddon this weekend or, or just watching from afar like i was i think um outside of uh yeah was there demp and mark are both there but um right. and then joe of course has got his other thing he's he's doing a different deal michigan get or whatever it yeah. is yeah so lots to talk about this morning oh yeah um Real quick, you know, uh, one thing I did forget about the uh, topics for today, um, you know, they're in the title of the video, but uh, might as well just cover them real quick. So we've got uh, the NATO conflict with Russia, um, and we even had a zero hedge story that came out literally a couple hours ago, I think, that was tailor made for... Uh, what was it yesterday? No, it's today. <laughs> it was it's tailor made for this topic. It's like I, I couldn't have searched for a better story. Um, the title of the story is Russian strategist tells TV public Ukraine war is rehearsal for NATO conflict. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty on so the we, nose. We can just we can just move on to the next topic. Then, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Fairly um, definitive. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see if the Kremlin walks that back like the White House walks Biden back every day. Yeah, the, well, walk, walking back the uh, military uh, aid, uh, direct military aid to uh, to Taiwan if China attacks. Mm -hmm. So much for uh, ambiguous, strategic ambiguity. Um, the next t topic we're going to talk about today is so turmoil in the U.S. markets. Um, anybody who's got a 401k definitely has has noticed this so we will be talking about that and how it uh, affects you we've got adam and stan um our two uh econ e economics gurus that are able to kind of bring a, a lot of uh, value to that and looking forward to see what they both uh, have. I just, just one quick disclaimer to keep us on the right side of the sec there will be no investment advice proffered during that segment that's right okay just cover your ass advice yeah. um and then the final topic is uh, democracy and, and, and how it's so important that I continue to vote and vote and vote to protect democracy. So, we, so Watcher is going to be talking a little bit about that. We're going to discuss the uh, World Economic 
uh, some, some, yeah, some real, some recent stuff coming out of a World Economic Forum. We there, there was a really funny video that just or a uh, tweet that just dropped right before the show started. So we'll cover that, and then Gideon's going to be coming on for that segment, uh, and he's going to be talking some of the kind of um, local democracy kind of uh, non governmental uh, initiatives that you can take to kind of govern yourself at the local level. You know, it's kind of like sometimes we're all, you know, the government does us a favor by not doing anything at all. Um, so uh, so we'll be talking that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, apologies, guys, for, for breaking into the middle of the introductions uh, to hit those. I just want to make sure everybody knew what we'd be talking about today. Mike. Yes, sir. Uh, International Man of Mystery, quiet, most quiet member of the council. Um, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing I'm doing well. I, I'll, I'll do the Joe thing. I'm doing well and good. Well and good. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm doing well and good. Well, I know we're all missing good Joe. Morning, you know, everybody. he's the, the uh, he's the heart of the council, uh, and so we're probably gonna go all to hell in the handbags without Joe here to keep us on the straight and narrow. Um, speaking of the straight and narrow, Adam, it's good to, good to see you here again, brother. It's my pleasure. Um, you know, speaking of uh, weekend plans and not the straight and narrow, just came back from Nashville, so I'm looking forward oh, uh, to a quiet, and of, casual uh, future conflict uh, conversation. A, a hive of scum and villainy, definitely. Uh, you know, Nashville. That's uh, right. Well, I usually you, bring the hive. Well, you know, you got to admit though, they've got some of the best nightlife of any city that 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 I can think of right now. That's true. It's also part of the day life too. Like, uh, you know, people are getting loaded up about uh, ten, eleven o'clock whenever they actually wake up. So, um, you know, it's a uh, it's a it's an interesting city. They there's a reason why people call it, uh, Nash Vegas, and uh, I mean, I think it's have, a little wilder than Vegas. Have you ever tried waking up in Nashville sober? Come on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, speak of the devil watcher, he appears. Uh, how how are you doing? Look at this. I I spent all night getting my vinyl sticker production capacity up and available. We've got the first one will be coming up as soon as the patch gets to me. Uh, guys, patch ops has said it'll be coming sometime this week, uh, but I am not sure because he's at some kind of convention. So. Uh, but as soon as it gets here, we're going to have the website up, and we'll have at least two kinds of stickers for you guys. Uh, that is awesome. Very cool. I'm glad that we're able to start. Uh, and the uh, and the winners of our uh, of our giveaway will get a sticker and a patch uh, as part of their uh, their packages. So that's what we're waiting to send that stuff uh, for. So looking forward to seeing those get out in the people's hands and whatnot. We're um, having a supply chain follow. Is that what you're saying? That's right. It's a supply chain, <laughs> but at least, at least, at least, it's not coming from China, so we don't have to worry about that, right? And it ain't baby formula, so that's good. Oh Jesus! Don't get me started on that. Good thing that the, the aid shipments from Europe uh, <laughs> finally arrived to the uh, poor, starving uh, children of America. I don't know if you look at the if you look at the balance sheet of aid and the directional flow, they got a ways to go before That's we're right. ever. Well, they're paying some of our thirty billion dollars back, right? To yeah, where we're exactly. we're, uh, we're subsidizing their uh, their military uh, uh, support to Ukraine. Ukrainian cam girls are storing breast milk for shipment to the United States. <laughs> That's right. Why? I'm saying, has has anybody so, talked so the... to Ben Shapiro's sister? Nobody. 
Okay. So the question on the uh, the baby stuff formula, I thought the the crisis was because mostly Abbott, um, you know, facility of whatever sort that produces this stuff was not up to FDA standards. It got shut down. Right. That's that that's correct. Apparently, it was legitimately okay. uh, kind of gross or something. Okay. You know, there were some some Fine. problems there. But so the stuff we're receiving from uh, you know, abroad is up to FDA standards. Is that correct? Well, evidently, the uh, the stuff that they make in Europe has higher standards, you know, because it's all, you know, it's all ISO 9000, whatever, you know, 9001. You know, yeah, most, kind of, of most of what was on this first shipment was all produced by Nestle, who's one of the four producers that have been cleared already by the FDA. So it's, it's when you start getting to, uh, you know, a little more develop, developing country sort of stuff that it becomes problematic. Yeah. Well, you know, did, did you see the uh, tweet about the, the, you know, like, oh, I think it was Hassan that said, if socialism, if, if uh, capitalism is so great, why couldn't we buy this stuff from Europe or something like that? I was like, come on, dude, you don't... <laughs> You, you just don't understand. It's the actual socialism that keeps us from being able to buy the stuff from from various different places. It's regulations that are keeping the good people down. Well, in this instance, I think it's another moment of the FDA not covering itself in glory. Um, if yeah. you look at that, if you look at the timeline and their response and one thing and another, it was the typical Biden wait till it's a flaming conflagration and then try to act. So it, it's well, it's sad. It just yeah, really it, sad. and evidently, my understanding is essentially what happened was they they were inspected, they found deficiencies, the deficiencies were fixed within fairly short order, mm -hmm. and and then it then it was a nine week wait before they could even get their first reinspection. Yeah. Um, so I mean, if you're if you're one of four baby uh, formula manufacturers in the United States. And you're a publicly traded company. You're you're not going to keep the line down any longer than you have to. Hell, you're an oligopoly. Why would you why, why would you drag right. your feet in terms of fixing your production issues? The issue was they could they, they couldn't get anybody to answer the phone and come out and reinspect the plant. Evidently, there's like seven or eight inspectors for that kind of thing in all of the FDA. And they were all what bombs, Karens, what doing right. doing other things? I guess you know they had other you know like you know working apparently on there's a backlog. Virus. That's that's right. You know, getting you know, you know, going to going to going to the Rocket Horror Picture Show uh, screening to uh, get uh, samples to make a better monkeypox virus. Uh, I I thought I saw an article. You know, it was written by someone in 2018, and basically it was talking about the baby formula issue uh, and something to do with the Trump administration. You know, it was one of these glaring Trump fucked up something, something, something. Wait till you see baby formula. Right. 20, 2018. Well, so it, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of expecting that to get that theme to get expanded. And you're going to place the blame on whatever the hell it was. Well, you know, I, Trump, I, yeah, I think what they'll do is they'll, Trump. they'll erase reality, blame Trump. It, when it finally shows up, give uh, Biden all the credit and then move along with their lives, yeah. which is nobody, nobody buys that stuff anymore. I mean, I, nobody, I, right. nobody swallows that. that, oh, that the, 
Yeah, the sycophants online do, but other than that, I mean, you know, that's a pretty small minority. Um, all well, right, guys. One, one, last, one last thing before you get to the map or whatever. Um, uh, Starbucks is now going to leave Russia, so they're closing oh. their 130 stores. So uh, the Russians are going to have to just sort of struggle with good Italian coffee from here on out. So from uh, here on out, that doesn't cost uh, six dollars a pop. The yeah. horror. The horror, right. Um, speaking of horror, moving on to the map. Good transition. Yep. I'm going to dip for a minute. It's not a comment on the map. I just have to step out for a second. I'll be right back. That's what he says. That's what uh, he says. Uh, all right. Uh, Kharkiv. Um, all right. Russian forces focused on maintaining their positions north of Kharkiv City and shelled Ukrainian positions on uh, May 22nd. Uh, the Ukrainian general staff reported that elements of Russian six combined arms army and the Baltic fleet are fighting to prevent Ukrainian troops from reaching the international border. Additionally, Russian forces continue to inflict artillery damage on settlements in and around Kharkiv City. All right, moving on the Izum, that's the area to the uh, southeast of uh, Kharkiv, which has been a nexus for uh, Russian advances. Um, Russian forces continued to prepare to resume offensive operations southeast of Izum, but did not make any uh, confirmed advances on the 22nd. Um, Ukrainian general staff noted that Russian forces in and around Izum are uh, creating conditions to resume uh, offensive uh, actions towards Slovyansk. Uh, Russian troops shelled frontline settlements uh, to the southwest and southeast of uh, Izum and indicated uh, continued Russian plans to move southward from Izum uh, towards the uh, Donetsk Oblast administrative border. Uh, Russian forces continued ground assaults uh, around Servodonetsk, but did not make any confirmed advances in this area on the 22nd. Uh, Ukrainian general staff reported that Russian troops conducted unsuccessful offensive operations around, okay, wait for it, Oskolovinivka, uh, Perdivka, uh, Shedry, <laughs> I don't know this one, this is, Shedriv, uh, uh, Shiv, Shiv, <laughs> and Smolianov, uh, uh All settlements east. I know. Uh, I, I, all settlements east of Servodonetsk. These uh, offensive operations are likely meant to uh, encircle uh, Servodonetsk from the east, supporting uh, previous advances uh, towards the city from the north via Rubitsny and uh, Bilohorvka. Uh, and from the south via Popozna. Ukrainian sources additionally confirmed that Russian uh, claims uh, that Russian troops have secured a limited advances north and west of Popozna since uh, at least May 20th. Um, Ukrainian general staff confirmed that fighting is ongoing in the, in the area of uh, Toshkivka, uh, Komshuv, uh, Valka, uh, Tripiliev, and Vasilivka. Uh, all settlements around Popozna where Russian uh, sources claim to have broken through Ukrainian defenses on May 21st. So can I just say that I like it when they stall out in an area, you know, and they keep fighting in the same towns over and over and over again. And the reason why I like that is because that gives me more opportunities to fail at the exact same name over and over again. The nice thing about today is because the Russians are on the offensive and they're taking new ground, I get new towns to butcher, and so it's a completely new set that I've never uh, read before. And just so just you like know, the Russians, 
That's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, cont- continue on. Russian forces attacking out of Popozna in several directions likely seek to both complete encirclement of Donetsk from the south and push westward uh, into the Donetsk obelisk towards uh, Bakhmut uh, via uh, Lviv, uh, uh, Vashlivka, and Tripiliav. Uh, and so we've got some video from Rubizna. I'll let you go ahead and just kind of play that. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm all over it, Watcher, and you, you can't even, like, have the video. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> They're all age-restricted for you? Well, look, uh, there's a super chat waiting in the thing, uh, Scott, oh, if you want. Holy to, to cannoli. Hey, Charlie Heathcott for Canadian 100. Hey, that ain't cheap. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, how are you all well today? Uh, I have a question for you. What do you think Putin's objective is in this war? Is it oil? Uh, I know he owns Gazprom Thought. So um, we talked a lot about this before the war started, right? And I'll, I'll because, you know, this is a big enough super chat for us to pause here for a moment and, and, and let me open this up to the panel. So I'll give my thoughts and then I'll open it up to the, to the panel. Um, so I think there is, you, you can't say it's just one reason, right? Um, I think there is a, uh, I think there is an aspect of this that is opportunity. Um, you know, this is, a, you know, Ukraine has become a problem uh in the near abroad for russia and russia has decided that they are going to uh kill two birds with one stone right they are able to eliminate the uh the the western government uh the western friendly government in ukraine and also uh seize resources and other uh types of of assets such as the land bridge uh to uh for instance to um um, Transnistria. Um, also, one of the things that they, one of their objectives was the water supply for Crimea, which is the uh, uh, the canal that coming out of the Dnieper River heading south. Um, there is uh, oil, significant oil and gas deposits uh, off of the coast of uh, in the uh, Black Sea. Um, you have some of the largest coal deposits. Uh, you've got uh, huge steel uh, uh, industries. So you have a lot of, of tangible stuff uh, in this part, in, especially the eastern part of uh, Ukraine. Um, and so I think that there is, there is something to that. Now, that being said, one of, the, um, one of the things that Putin has written about and has kind of talked about as part of the rationale for this is the kind of the the fact that ukraine is essentially part is 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 a, a essential portion of russia uh and that they are just you know they are russians right they're you know ukraine U- ukrainians aren't separate from russia um so i think there is a bit of that ethno nationalism to it as well though it's not clearly defined as such um so i think a lot of that stuff kind of exists in the background uh, and it's hard to put your finger on, but it's part of the part of it too. And if you look into kind of like some of these ideas behind the fourth uh, 
uh, fourth economic theory or, you know, from uh, Alexander Dugan and some of these kind of uh, Russian nationalist uh, uh, political ideas, I think these are all kind of part of the fuel uh, for some of these ideas. So real quick, I'll just open it up to the council if you guys want to weigh in on this. Well, the only thing I was going to say is the the uh, Ukraine-Russia nationalist stuff is is disputed i mean just keep that in mind yeah there, there are many people in ukraine that feel just as strongly that ukraine is its own thing yeah as putin feels that ukraine is a russia thing uh, right i mean everything else i think you covered um very well and nothing else to add although although the only thing you can add really is yeah there was a steel industry um which has probably been destroyed, the physical inf infrastructure. And then if there are people that have the skill set, you know, I don't know how many of those people have been killed in, in, in the in the uh, process also. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple that are just minor, as long as nobody else is going to bring them up. Um, what we've got here is the Sea of Azov, and the Sea of Azov, I think, is a huge part of why we're seeing what, what where we're seeing them attack, right? Like... We, we understand why they're attacking, uh, uh, but this is uh, Rostov on Don, which uh, up until they seized uh, Sevastopol here was the only port Russia, the only warm water port Russia had. And I, I don't actually know if Rostov on Don is fully warm water or not. So during the wintertime, the, all of their, the, the shipping needs of this entire massive empire that need to be brought in by a boat all have to come in right here. And unfortunately, Ukraine, ever since uh, Russia took this, they've been doing everything they can in a kind of low conflict sort of way without actually blowing things up to make life hard for Russia and make uh, Russian businesses lose millions of dollars. And so over time, that's become a big security risk for Russia that they that, uh, they decided they can't hold anymore. And so they're trying to wipe them all the way back into here and then eventually all the way over to Moldova where they have a... Uh, Russian loyal uh, uh, enclave. What would you call that enclave, right? Here right. in Moldova called Transnistria. Um, and so eventually we believe they want to create a land bridge. So, you know, the, just to pull it out to the 10,000 or however, what altitude you prefer, roll or through orbit with, uh, with uh, Russo, the Russo-Ukraine war is that uh, according to IR theory by... Uh, uh, Brzezinski, um, that Ukraine is the key to uh, Russian imperial ambitions because of its resource rich, it's relatively yeah. warm, um, as everybody has said. And, you know, you see this with uh, all the downstream effects of uh, Ukraine, which we'll be talking about uh, in a later segment today, which is, uh, you know, the economic impact of Ukraine. You know, it uh, feeds tremendous parts of the world. So does Russia. It produces a lot of electricity. It's, uh, it's a actually like a nice place uh to control and so you know this is a kind of a uh great game between you know russia the us uk and even the european union here um and so russia has this problem of uh, de being declining power uh that's still very powerful and they had opportunity and they had they're basically compelled to seize it for a variety of uh, uh internal and uh geopolitical reasons and uh 
you know, the United States is also kind of compelled to act in the, on the opposite side just for the same reasons. You know, Ukraine is a problem for the West as, uh, as well. And, you know, basically the, the, the question is who, who gets to determine the fate of Ukraine? Well, you, and, Scott, or oh, well I was going to say, I, I just want to back up what you just said. It's, it's not just the West, actually. It's, it's interesting. I don't know why I forgot this. Um, you know who's the other country who's been heavily invested in Ukraine? Because it, they, they also view it as a gateway. China. Uh, China, correct. Yeah. China's been incredibly invested. And who is bankrolling Russia in this endeavor? China. Um, so you, you can bet that the Chinese have their own play on this as far as the Belt and Road Initiative goes and in bringing in goods to Europe via rail, via a stable line. Yeah, no, those are all those are all good inputs. I think uh, so. I think we answered that question, man. The, seriously, we, I, you know, any super chat, even if it's a two dollar super chat, I completely appreciate the members who join the channel for five dollars a month. Um, very appreciative of, of them. Um, but a but a hundred dollars Canadian, uh, man, that's that's a humbling. We appreciate your support and your patronage, and uh, you know, and it 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 makes us feel better. Um, uh, Lamb Chop with uh, no small super chat of his own, thirty four ninety, very specific, uh, odd, oddly round off number. Uh, welcome to Future Conflict, Invasion of England, day uh, three forty nine oh thirty eight. So I'm really looking forward to the uh, updates on the uh, the Norman conquests of uh, of England. Uh, I, I'm really curious when that uh, the new front uh, opened up by the French uh, imperial masters of the uh you know continue well, to march forth into england with the you know the essentially the eu is the continuation of the uh, great holy roman empire uh I'll turn that over to you there uh, watcher for you to come i was just gonna say funnily enough lamb chop uh we we might be having an, an invasion of england day one here pretty soon i don't know if anybody else has been following lord miles's twitter feed but he uh has obviously learned about the the wonderful unclaimed patch of land uh beer to wheel which has no water or no natural resources and has decided that he wants to colonize and claim it for the great nation of England. Well, I wondered maybe if uh, Michael Francis wasn't going to claim uh, England for the, uh, for the, uh, you know, the Colombo crime family uh, as he's getting ready to do a, uh, a tour of England, uh, a speaking tour of England. So looking forward to that. Um, that's the only in English invasion I'm tracking right now. Uh, but appreciate I appreciate your uh, patronage, and I also appreciate your humor. Uh, definitely very funny. Uh, all right, let me uh, let me knock out this uh, map segment, um, and we'll uh, we'll move on to our first topic here today. Um, so moving on to Mariupol. So we've got um, so we have so the fighting is all 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 done and dusted, but uh, there's still some developments. Um, Russian forces continue clearing through the territory of the Azovstal steel plant on the 22nd. Occupation forces in Mariupol continue to carry out strict filtration and deportation procedures. Uh, Territorial Defense Headquarters in Donetsk People's Republic claim that uh, 313 people, including 55 children, were deported from Mariupol to a filtration camp uh, in uh, Bezimini, I believe that's in, uh, uh, in Donetsk in the DNR. Um, advisor to the uh, mayor of Mariupol claimed that 70 people, including 12 children, were forcibly deported to Russia uh, from Mariupol uh, via the uh, Nikolovsky uh, 
filtration camp. Uh, he additionally stated that the Occupation Administration has tightened movement controls throughout the city, uh, which is consistent with the assessment of the information environment. Uh, Mariupol will become increasingly restricted in the coming weeks. And that sounds like pretty much what we would expect, right? Um, as, as much heavy fighting as they've uh, found a scene in that area, they're probably looking for uh, stay behind, partisan activities, things like that. Uh, moving on to Zaporizhia, uh, Ukrainian Resistance Center um, additionally reported instances of Ukrainian partisan activities targeting collaboration officials, Russian artillery systems, uh, and, and Melitopol, uh, uh, indicating continuing and organized Ukrainian resistance in occupied areas. So we've this is the, about the third uh, report that we've seen um, activities in and around uh, Melitopol. So looking forward to see what kind of shakes out of that with the uh, partisan activity and, and the anti-partisan Russian response. Uh, moving over to Kherson, uh, Russian forces likely continued preparations for renewed offensive in the southern axis on May 22nd. Uh, Ukrainian general staff reported that Russian troops on the axis were focusing on building secondary lines of defense, strengthening air defense systems, and conducting reconnaissance uh, and shelling Ukrainian positions, all of which indicates they're settling, setting the conditions for subsequent offensive actions. Um, and that, my friends, is the map segment for today. Um, you know, they, you know, since, since the, our last, uh, time together on, uh, last Friday, definitely the offensive has started to kind of, you know, become less, you know, essentially the, 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 for the last couple months or for the last month or so, the frustration of the Russians and their offensive operations has been a big part of the story. And, you know, the Ukrainians really, especially after the victory day parade, um, you know, in the information environment, you definitely saw Ukrainian partisans, you know, kind of, you know, almost mocking Russia's inability to really be able to break out, uh, you know, of their kind of initial areas um, in, in this part. But uh, what we've really seen is, uh, you know, especially in the last week, these offensives have really started to shape up. And the question is, and, and we all are, have a sneaking suspicion, that Russia's uh, ability to continue offensive operations is close to culminating um, and that they will probably run out of steam here very soon. Um, you know, a lot of the units that are, are, are coming back into the fight that are from other areas, such as the units that uh, were in the initial offensive in and around um, Chernihiv, Sunni, and Kiev, um, they're, they're essentially ad hoc units that have been pieced together from uh, other broken units. Um, and so that's a, you know, that's kind of not, uh, that's not really what you're looking for. Um, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see how long they can continue this. Um, all right. So for our, our, uh, our first segment, uh, today, we're, we're looking at, uh, NATO uh, on a collision course with Russia. And so, um, like I said, we had this Zero Hedge article pop up. And I wonder if maybe we don't do that one first because because um, Patrick Fox did this uh, good thread on Twitter um, highlighting this Washington Post article talking about the European military uh, and you know, what are the advantages of that? So I think that is a better response to what I saw in here, which is referring back to a lot of uh, Russian stuff. So um, so we'll just read through this article real quick. 
like I said, I just saw it right before the show, so uh, I haven't really had a chance to really digest it. So, uh, so, so this is a quote uh, for us, Russia. Uh, the war in Ukraine is a rehearsal for a possible larger conflict in the future. A top Russian political science uh, warned in the Russian state TV show talk show 60 Minutes. Well, we have a 60 Minutes in America, too. How, how ironic. Uh, Alexei uh, Fanico, uh, a research fellow at the Institute of International Security Studies, told uh, uh, the show's host that the invasion of Ukraine was a testing ground of military tactics and equipment for a much broader conflict, one that could potentially involve NATO. Uh, and that's why we'll test and go up against NATO weapons. We'll see on the battlefield how much stronger our weapons really are compared to theirs. And maybe it will be a learning experience for future conflict. I like future conflict. That's why I named my YouTube channel that, um, Fenico said. All right, let's move down the article. Fenenko, by the way. Fenenko, whatever. You know, I'll take your word for it. Uh, the host of the show uh, interrupted Fenenko. Uh, and conveying how this is a terrible experiment. Uh, the video clip uh, expressing his views is of a possibly much larger conflict was first shared in the U.S. by the Daily Beast's Julia Davis. By the way, Julia Davis has been very interesting. Um, she's really been pulling a lot of these clips, and you know, without her clips, uh, you know, most of us wouldn't get to see these uh, things. So let's go ahead and play this clip here and see what this guy says for himself. I mean, no, no sound watcher. I mean, I didn't think you wanted to hear him babble in Russian, but okay. Well, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a language. It's, at least it's not that music that the Ukrainians put on all their war porn videos. Oh, that's what is terrible. That? that stuff is terrible. So essentially, he said the stuff we already read the uh, the quotes from uh, up there. Um, his comments come after uh, another journalist uh, and editor-in-chief of RT discussed the possibility of conflicts outside of Ukraine and said a nuclear war would be okay because we're all going to die someday. <laughs> I mean, that's a typically Russian fatalism, right? I mean, that's uh, what they're known for. Um, you know, war with Europe and the rest of the world is inevitable, she said. Uh, one of Russia's most high-tech weapons uh, is testing with Ukrainians' hypersonic missiles. Oh, uh, boy. Let's see. We don't need to see the... This is those uh, those attacks from earlier in the... Yeah, early in March. So, uh, so that's so an interesting take on this, right? <laughs> so he, here's one thing we can learn is that no matter where you are in the world, commentators are just as dumb. Like, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's right. all I got to say. <laughs> But you know, I had to say it. But there is a there. This represents some. I I have no idea how much. But there are some number of people in Russia, especially outside of the big cities, that think this way. Well, I, I think it. I think it is. They've been. They've been, uh, they've been uh, exposed to the Kremlin's line of thought, which is NATO and, and NATO, and they're and they're not wrong on this. NATO continues to move closer and closer to the, the Russian frontier. Um, and as NATO expands, NATO's uh, military footprint expands. 
and we've talked about this ad nauseum in terms of the, the concerns, the security concerns that the Russians have as a result of that. And, and so uh, it's not surprising that a good portion of the Russian public has just sort of said, it's coming one day or another, much like they felt that same way during the Cold War to a degree, as did certain Americans to one degree or another. And, and so there is a sort of Russian fatalism, um, but I also think that they're tired of being sort of dictated to, and, and, and you know, that, that's a mindset that exists in Russia. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think there is something to be said for the, you know, the traditional, you know, Russian fatalism. And, well, and, uh, let, me, and let, me, let me just posit this for comment, uh, and, and that is, if the United States has, in the 80-some-odd days that this war has been in tow, uh, we've committed something on the order of between 55 and $60 billion worth of aid to Ukraine, you may feel as though that, you know, the U.S. is an active participant in this conflict. And I don't have the numbers on the other NATO members um, at my fingertips, but that number is probably close to $75 billion, $80 billion in, in, in total at this particular point. And uh, it, uh, you, 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 you can excuse them if they think they're at war with the rest of uh the rest of NATO. You, right. No, that's exactly right. Um, so let me. The, the only thing I would say to that is um, uh, yes, true, but that is also in reaction to an offensive invading Ukraine. So, you know, you can go back and forth all day long as to who's at fault, but uh, and what pressure Russia feels um from the west but to to some degree i'm not that sympathetic because they brought this wrath upon themselves through uh, an invasion of ukraine so that's just the way i think well i mean so this kind of goes back to the you know the russian justifications right you know are, are you know are these justifications valid and and you know um real quick uh uh, Charlie, uh, for another Canadian 20, appreciate you, brother. Um, historically, for the last thousand years, Russia has been uh, a land of suffering. So to hear we're all going to die someday, I'm not surprised about the comment. Yeah, I mean, so if you look back into their literature, um, this is, you know, this is part of the Russian condition, right? Um, and then, you know, if also if you think about this fact, too, Russia was the last country in Europe to give up serfs, right? There was serfs, serfdom in Russia until the 1880s. So, I mean, when you're a serf, you have to have a very kind of pragmatic and fatalistic kind of outlook in order to to make because being a serf is essentially uh, being a slave on your home on your home country. Um, so, I mean, uh, what do you, I mean? What do you guys think? We've kind of been talking about yeah. this already, but I mean, you know, here's the thing that people don't realize is that there's never been a time in, in American history where any American has been poorer than the average Russian, right? Um, and it's like you, you even talk about compare when a height of feudalism in Russia in the Victorian period when America had chattel slavery, like it, like life was far 
shorter and more brutal. And that's how we got like Dostoevsky, uh, Tolstoy, yeah. and all that. You know, it's uh, quintessentially a character of them. But you know, and uh, like this is a perfect example of a national character uh, leading to um, unforced errors. Right? We had this attempt at shock and awe when you know Russia should have just blocked and tackled like it uh, could and normally would. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, while they were trying to do this grand push to Kiev, um, you know, the uh, Ukrainians were able to reinforce the eastern positions with modern uh, NATO weaponry. And this is the thing is like the whole like, oh, we're going to die anyways mentality is uh, is like uh, failing them. You know, you can't just be tough. You have to like be smart. And, you know, Russia, Russia, if for its character uh, strengths are also its character flaws. Go back to you. No, no, I think I think that's a good. Uh, you know what? What is the old country song? If you if you're gonna be tough, you have. If you're gonna be dumb, you got to be tough or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I mean, just the 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 Russian the Russian you know kind of condition is one of of uh, you know of suffering. Um, so you know. I, I, you know, if, especially if you look at, you know, they they leave uh, serfdom only to get a, a crappy uh, monarchy that is abruptly th- overthrown forty years later by the communists, and then they get to live under communism for eighty years, so or seventy years or sixty years or whatever it was. Um, all right, so so yeah. Anyway, I, I, the the next thing I want to talk about with this is um, so the idea of of NATO fighting. Now I just don't see. Now I mean I know we've argued to the contrary of this, but I just don't see America like you know deliberately provoking uh, a land war in 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 Europe. Like I can see us doing the kind of the sneaky thing where we're given the support to Ukraine and let let the Ukrainian boys and girls die for us, you know. Why do, why do we need to 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 spill our blood when the Ukrainians are willing to to do the fighting for us? I mean, that's uh you know, that's very much, I think, of the tradition of the Democratic Party specifically, but America, um, you know, more, uh, you know, writ large. Hey, so, uh, Watcher, can you do me a favor? Can you pull up that article I sent you guys this morning from the Washington Post talking about us deploying special forces to protect the embassy in Kiev? And then, so let me just... Uh, so... You know, but the interesting thing is, is that, you know, this European Union needs its own army. And and I'll just real quick kind of cover some of the points that Patrick brings up in his um, uh, in his uh, thread, uh, because I think it's it's relevant. So if Europe fights Russia, that makes more sense to me than NATO fighting Europe. Uh, fighting Germany, because I can really see uh, the European powers talking themselves into a war with Russia. Um, I just don't see Russia as being the aggressor outside of these limited objectives within maybe uh, Moldova, you know, the former uh, Soviet states of Moldova and uh, Ukraine. Um, you know, that's kind of the limit I see, you know, these uh, these ambitions. So anyway, his in his um, tweet, hey, he uh... said... Hey, hey, Scott. I mean, that's nonsense. I I, I, I don't know about that, what you just said. I mean, you look at the footprint 
you know, it, it's it's the Wagner Group in Africa. Um, well, but, but that's you know, different. They, they though, certainly, right? they, well, the point just being is that they, you know, they have a larger footprint uh, and possibly more ambitious um, outlook than you think, and then then we're giving them credit for, you know, the the whole Syria war, Tardis, uh, um, all that stuff. I mean, it's. Abkhazia. Yeah, yeah. All that so, stuff. You know, it's it's you gotta give them credit for that too, you know. So Crimea. so I'll be so I'll be honest with you. I put I put Crimea, Ossetia, Abkhazia, Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova, Transistria all in the same basket because essentially those those were all parts of the Soviet Union, right? I mean not parts of the Warsaw Pact, but those were parts of, of the Soviet Russia uh, as a whole, right? Um, I mean as was well, that's what I'm saying. That part Ukraine is part of that, and you could even go so far as to say, well, do they also have designs on places like Armenia and Azerbaijan? I think that you could make an argument that they may have, uh, they, you know, they may be interested in reabsorbing Armenia, and I Armenia don't think is already I, de facto reabsorbed. It's like Belarus in that regard. Right, right. It, the, that's right. It, but its status is more like Belarus than say, you know, what what's happening in say the DNR and the LNR and Abkhazia, which are are essentially uh, de facto parts of Russia at this point. You know, can I come back to the point that was made, though, and, and the topic at hand, and that is what's going to drive the, conf the confrontation or a conflict between NATO and, and Russia? And, and I'll make this point again, and I've said it, I bet, 15 times in the run-up to and during this war. And I don't think anybody has yet offered anything that is, uh, that is disruptive to the concept. And that is the leader of Poland stood in the well of the Ukrainian parliament and talked about pushing the Russians back to their whatever. OK, taking on Ukraine, taking on Crimea, taking on the Donbass, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All, the, the Baltic states have said the same. Sweden and Finland are now part of NATO. All of these people, right. all of them, all of them are just exercising the call option on the U.S. defense budget. That is the that is the enabling factor that allows all these half-assed countries, and I say that deliberately, because at the end of the day, the Baltics and the Poles and everybody else isn't in a position to exercise military force against the Russians. Ukraine isn't in a position to exercise military force against the Russians, absent $50 billion. And so we're enabling all. And we're going well, along with it, and we're going one step further. This and, weekend, and, this weekend, we've promised to also simultaneously defend Japan and Taiwan and Taiwan China, right. against Chinese invasion. And and I'll defer to others in this in this discussion. I don't think we got the military to do that. You know, as a as an old sergeant once said, said, "Boy, do you got the ass to back up the uh, promises you're making?" Um, and I think the answer to that is no. Um, and so, the, you know, and the irony about the Europe piece is that, you know, the countries like that actually have the economy to be able to kind of back up those kind of claims, um, you know, such as Germany and and France and, you know, to a lesser extent, but related through NATO, uh, the UK. They're not interested. They're they're not in the position to do anything, um, hardly defensively, militarily, much less offensively. Um, essentially, what they have the ability to do is mortgage their their previous defense spending, 
by giving away the, the goodies that they've bought over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years uh, and, and give those up to people who are actually uh, in the fight, right? Um, and which I think is kind of contemptible in a way because, you know, they're not saying this war is terrible. You need to go to the peace table. That being said, until the peace, until the peace is signed, here are weapons to fight it with. No, no, no. They're saying, no, 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 don't don't get peace. We'll give you weapons so you can continue to inflict more damage. I mean, there are people calling for the destruction of the Russian army as a as an effective military power, you know, from our, within our own government. Uh you know, so why would you end the war when you can actually, you know, dis- destroy the Russian military in Ukraine? Well, how many thousands of Ukrainians have to die in order to make that happen? But don't worry, they'll get they'll get new artillery pieces in order uh, to do that with. So, I mean, I th- that's kind of that's kind of like my uh, framework in, in how I can see where we're going. There is definitely a a, a political cast within uh, the NATO countries that have a vested interest in, in us having a prolonged conflict with Russia. We continue and, to escalate this conflict, supposedly in our interests. Um, and 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 um, it's, you know, I, there was an article in the Washington Post that slid through on the weekend that we are now going to... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Stan. I was trying to find it. I don't know if you posted it in the group. Well, I'm going to finish my thought, Charlie, if you'll give me just two seconds. And that is, typically, U.S. embassies are are, 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 are provided security by a detail of Marines. Mm-hmm. In this instance, we're deploying special forces to the Kiev embassy, the one that we bailed on at the outset of this. And we're going to... So we, we're going to start to escalate. We're boiling the frog. Next thing you know, we're going to have a little bit more in the way of special forces. And those guys are not going to be busy guarding the visa gate at the embassy. They're going to be busy doing other stuff. Malcolm Nance sort of stuff. Actually, Training Malcolm missions. Yeah, right. Sort of stuff. And then and then the next thing you're, you're going you're gonna to hear is that, you know, we've already heard about generals falling out of pipes in Azovstal. There is no way back from the direction that this administration has set as it relates to our involvement in Ukraine. And our involvement in Ukraine is de facto NATO's involvement in, in Ukraine. And now we'll go on to Charlie's piece. Yeah. So Charlie's for $10 Canadian says to Virginia gentleman's uh, point, uh, ISIS and the Taliban didn't have the economic and military power to fight the Russian and the Americans. Right. So he's, he's not wrong. I don't know. Didn't didn't we uh, didn't we fund and, and, and arm the Mujahideen during the first Afghan? Well, I mean, if if he's um, if he's talking more recent, uh, perhaps Charlie. But but they did have backing for from people like like Iran as an example. And then possibly if 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 they're getting it from Iran, they're possibly getting it from Russia. And if they're getting it from Russia, they're possibly also getting it from China. So they 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 probably. The ISIS, you know, the new Taliban, they they've had backing. Um, but so dude, what about but, what about the Saudis? Well, so the the yeah, point I, I the point I, old and the, and, 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 the and the packs. The yeah. the point I'd like the, there's two two points I'd like to make here uh, relating to the Taliban and the and ISIS. And first, I'll take the ISIS. I mean, the Taliban point on, and that is that the Taliban is essentially an internal uh, insurgency. Um, fighting, you know, like peoples, um, and you're also fighting, uh, you know, out of uniform in a irregular manner, 
terrorism is a key weapon of that. So that's a different type of war, right? And then it comes down to political will a lot of times in that type of fight. So that's a that's a little bit of a not that's an apples and an oranges kind of comparison. Now you could say, well, ISIS took took the fight to the Saudis and essentially took over half their country. And until the the West decided to come in and 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 the Russians got involved and the Turks got it involved uh, and the Kurds finally kind of got their act together, you know, essentially they were kicking ass. Well, that's true, but you have to look at the the neighborhood they were kicking ass in. Um, ISIS never uh, overran any U.S. Uh, compounds or uh, or any kind of uh, Western or uh, um, you know first world military kind of uh, you know forces. They overran the Iraqi forces, right, and the Syrian forces, and the Syrian forces were already fighting. You know, uh, essentially, Syria was falling apart separate uh, from ISIS. You know, th there were essentially two belligerent forces within Syria. Um, so it was ripe for uh, like a third party like ISIS to interject. And then when they went into Iraq, you know, I'll be honest with you, there's probably no more of a bankrupt military uh, in the world than the Iraqi military. So, um so that being said, that's not once again, while that's an offensive operation, that is not an apples to uh, apples comparison. Um, what we're talking about is Europe calling for essentially an offensive war against Russia. Uh, and I just don't think that's that's going to happen. A traditional, traditional, conventional, war. conventional. Not, that's right. Not not an insurgency. Um, I, we should make sure we an, we answer Kevin Dorr's five and two dollars that he so Kevin Dorr for five uh, Syria where the recognized government asked Russia for help because we tried to overthrow uh, not China not Russia are up against up to the foreign BS we are well I don't know I so here's the thing I I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna defend the that the U.S. wasn't involved in some chicanery over there. But if you don't think that the Russians are involved in their own uh, measure of chicanery, um, you know, like I, I am not the kind of person that's going to sit here and defend Russia and be like a Russia stand. Oh, you know, we're picking on Russia. No, Russia are a bunch of, you know, uh, evil assholes. And, you know, and ultimately the only the only good guys in these types of fights are the are the civilians that are caught in the middle. Right. And the honest you know, private soldiers who just who have honest, pure motives to defend their country. You know, I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's some private soldiers in Russia that, you know, are from, especially from small towns that have no idea of all the things that Russia is, is up to its neck in. That being said, China is up, you, you want to talk about a country, they don't even hide the crazy crap that they're doing. Um, they're the only country that I know of, of an actual active internal genocide to include concentration camps, uh, and uh, executions for uh, organ transplant harvesting. That's the only country in the world that has all that. Oh, and by the way, also slave labor. Um, so that's just the internal stuff. If you look at what they're doing externally, they're doing everything they can to undermine uh, Western influence uh, in places like um, Oceania there, you know, talking about Solomons, you know, Central America, South America, Africa. If not there's just, a country that needs money, China's there to give it to them. Not just undermine, not 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 just undermine our authority in the area. Trying to undermine national sovereignty of literally every one of these tiny countries. They come in with these Belt and Road initiatives, and by the end of it, you're looking at them owning the ruling elite of the country from from the neck up. It's uh, it's kind of how the British Empire got built. 
a bit, yeah. You know, I mean, the Chinese aren't really famous for coming up with new ideas, but they are really good at ripping off other people's and perfecting them. Well, I don't know that they're perfecting anything, but they sure are good enough to make a cheap facsimile. That uh, look at the segue. Look at the segue. <laughs> I don't know that the segue was ever done well in any iteration. Um, and then, he, and then, of course, you said for two dollars here, Kevin, uh, we support uh, Al Qaeda and ISIS in Syria. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't yeah. involved in any of that. I haven't uh, done my research. Um, I, I have seen evidence to support both that we were supporting them, um, but I have also seen evidence to the contrary. So um, the I, as far as I'm concerned, the jury's still out on that final verdict. Yeah, but but none of us here would be surprised either way. Um, it's, it's, it's not like we're <laughs> we're 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 not. Uh, uh, <laughs> none of us are walking into this blind. We all know about the Mujahideen and all the all the many, many wonderful groups we've financed and given support to over the years because we thought it was advantageous to us at the moment. Well. You know, we you we, you we don't even have to to look towards our support to AQ and and ISIS. I mean, you could do, we could talk about how we're willing to drone strike American civilians uh, in other countries. So true, so true. You know. So anyway, uh, I think this is probably you know a good point for us to kind of uh, of of transition. Um, you know, I think the I think the exit uh, thought on this. Uh, on this topic is is that ultimately, yeah, I think um, there is a scenario that puts us as as NATO, and I say us as NATO, uh, into an active conflict with uh, Russia uh, in the near future, um, whether Russia wants to or not. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Russia wants to fight NATO. Um, I think that they're going to do everything they can to be able to, to, to fight whoever comes at them down the line. Um, but I don't think that's a fight they want uh, they want to have. Stan, I'll, I'll let you kind of put your last thought on this. Yeah, I don't I don't think they want a, a broad uh, conflict with NATO. I think I think a lot of the hyperbole, the Brian Stelterism that you see in, um, in talk shows on Russia is just that. Uh, I don't I don't think they have designs at this particular point. Um, you have to you have to remember. In addition to suffering, this is a nation of chess players. And they're not jumping the shark on the board. Um, Ukraine is the focus. They're going to continue to try to actively destabilize NATO and other means. Uh, but right now, from a conflict perspective, Ukraine is the focus. And it'll stay that way. And, I, and I'll stand by my prediction that late June, early July, you'll see the next wave of this. Because I would, I, would, I would question some of the analysis that says that Russian combat power is, is nearly... Um, extinct i don't think it is i i think i'll be honest with you i think the issue with russia's running into in the near term is uh manpower trained yep. manpower not yep. uh not necessarily you know equipment and things like that but, right uh, they got lots of warm bodies to throw at the problem but they don't necessarily what? have many that that have trained hands the not, man not... with the rifle shoots the man without the rifle follows when the one man and with the rifle is shot the man without the rifle picks up the rifle what and not, not 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 to go too far down any rabbit holes, but you know Ukraine has mobilized for this war at this point. I mean, they've done a you know a broad mobilization of their entire economy. Russia has not. You know they have not declared a general mobilization. 
they're still doing their twice a year uh, inductions into the military uh, as scheduled. They're n so they're not even you know inducting uh, more conscripts. So it, that's it's just kind of interesting to see how that's going. Hey, look who joined! Hey, Gideon, good timing. We were just ending our uh, our first topic here. Oh, uh, hi, Jane. So uh, good to be here, and uh, I'm a little bit early, but. <laughs> No, it's great, man. You you can you, you just jump in as you as you feel. Uh, so real quick, we're gonna do a, a, a promo here for so Adam. We uh, we for, we missed our first promo Hello. slot, which uh, uh, we were we were gonna give to you. But so we're oh, you, you, you get this one. Uh, why don't you tell the folks about uh, what you've got going on over at uh, Muzzlebossy? So I have a Substack, uh, like everybody and their cousin. Um, and I, it's a muzzlevelocity.substack.com. Um, and I put everything there that, uh, you know, basically, uh, editors of other or magazines and, um, won't print or can't print in a timely enough fashion. Uh, one of the things that, uh, dealing with conservative media, um, is that it doesn't get things done very fast, it takes a week or so for edits to happen. So I just started on my own volition to write things that I think are important. Uh, everything from veterans benefits issues to, um, you know, the Russo-Ukraine war is a heavy feature to some contemporary politics things. Um, you know, I talk about here um, and I should have unpacked it further, but basically, you know, the United States is more or less borrowing money from China to pay Ukraine. And, you know, like defense spending is a, is a terminal point of wasted money, whereas, you know, uh, we, the United States has a habit of failing to do things that actually help us counter China. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, we have like one of the big problems that we keep running into over and over again, this is the problem with the expansion of, uh, uh, of, of NATO is that it keeps distracting us from their, uh, Russia's senior partner, which is China. And, you know, I've been meaning to write more about this, but, you know, um, more topical things have come up. But um, it's it's a we have a real crisis on our hands that we're, we allow minor powers to dictate um, American international policy interests. Yeah. Yeah. Like Poland, <laughs> for one. Well, well, like I was on a uh, Twitter space with uh, Patrick uh, Fox um, uh, yeah. right after they had uh, the year, uh, former U.S. Army Europe uh, Commander Lieutenant General um, something with an H um, and Hodge. yeah, thank you. And this guy, so he has no idea. Like he was like calling for a Marshall Plan, and the Marshall Plan never ended. Like if you know, just a quick Google search would tell you all the financial instruments that the United States still has operating in the world. It doesn't necessarily focus on Europe for the most part. But anyways, in the middle of this discussion. Um, you know, you had a German investment banker who's an anonymous account uh, in uh, at the time in Estonia was uh, wanted to argue with me about uh, the U.S.'s role in uh, in this Russo-Ukraine conflict and it's talking about grains and all that stuff. And it just struck me. It was dumbfounding to me to listen to somebody whose country is not only being perfidious in this whole uh, uh, conflict, playing multiple sides. But also to the outsized uh, view of the importance of uh, you know Central Europe in uh, Eastern European affairs, right? This is a conflict 
you know, that's born by the Anglosphere and it's going to be paid for by the Anglosphere. And, you know, we need to talk like about these things like adults and senators like Cruz and uh, Cornyn, I live in Texas, using baby talk uh, to talk about aid packages is uh, unacceptable. You know, we should be honest about um, our uh, geopolitical realities, especially as the world becomes more familiar with great power conflicts of the 19th century. Yeah, well, can we go back? Go back to the characterization of this war at the outset, which has been buried by most media outlets. And I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to argue this with anybody that wants to argue. This is a Slavic civil war. Period. End of story. That's right. Well, and then can we also just mention the outstandingly bad take that Cruz, that uh, Senator Cruz had uh, on Twitter about the need to, you know, support Ukraine in this. Uh, in this war that they're in um you know i mean i my response in tweet it clearly i did well i got over almost 300 likes on it but um you know was essentially to remind him that we have national interest that maybe we should actually attend to before we start you know signing checks to th for 30 billion dollars or for 60 billion dollars uh, over to uh, ukraine and, and those are uh, repeat that with me everybody uh, the Middle East, the uh, China, and stop, uh, the stop, Western. Stop, stop. <laughs> Any Texas politician who doesn't prioritize getting the border. a handle on the border That's right. is, should should be drummed out of office. Yeah, I totally That's agree right. with that. And, and you know, I, you know I've, I'm on the same side with uh, Ted Cruz on a lot of issues, but this is the kind of stuff that just becomes a deal breaker. It's election um, cycle mindset is what it is and and so now you're seeing this great homogenization of political interest because everybody's trying to appeal to the middle uh as opposed to doing what's what's right yeah yeah all right so anyway hey if you guys haven't uh signed up and subscribed for to the muzzle velocity great name by the way best name of any Substack that i know of um, Stan, you. you got your uh, work cut out for you when uh, you finally come out with I'm your stuff. I'm not going to be that creative. It's just going to be the Virginia gentleman. So, oh well, okay. With brand, you know, consistent branding. That's it. There you go. There you go. Uh, and so, uh, definitely be checking him, him out. And um, and and when we get our locals uh, up and humming, um, we'll be featuring some of Adam's columns over there as well, and and then also uh, on our website. So the idea is that our platforms are platforms to give uh, greater exposure to the contributors and 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 vice versa. So uh, looking forward to featuring some of his great ideas uh, uh, on our platforms. All right, moving on to topic number two. So Stan. My understanding is the U.S. financial market is in turmoil. What does that mean for a, somebody, a humble uh, guy like me, uh, you know, with a with a four hundred one k and a TSP, and uh, you know, I'm I'm, you know, I'm at the the whims of uh, of of the markets for my future. Uh, so, what is uh, I, I I read through that Larry Summers thread that you shared. Uh, that's some. Uh... <laughs> Why don't you? Well, yeah, yeah, Larry. Larry's been. Larry's been, and I don't agree with Larry on everything, um, but I, I will say he's been out front on the inflation uh, issue um, for quite a while. Um, I think he's still angry that he's not the Federal Reserve Chairman, um, and 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 thinks he should be. Um, 
but that aside, he's been he's been pretty uh, pretty correct in terms of uh, being the canary in the coal mine as it relates to the coming uh, the coming of inflation. Yeah, this uh, I I was kind of I I wasn't expecting to agree with as much as he said in here, but he's um, he's got some ideas. Um, Adam, have you have you seen this uh, thread? I have, I have. You know, I think here's, you know, one of the ways I look at this, just from the the political point of view, is, you know, Jeff Bezos has made it cool to talk about um, inflation coming from the center left, um, and you know, I I always like whenever I do do anything that had Larry Summers involved in it, either back in my day at the Treasury or since. I always assume a certain degree of perfidiousness and uh, but, you know, I think this is a I think this is a really important thing is that now people who are supposed to be covering the left flank of uh, Joe Biden are saying like, hey, guy, this is a problem. But, you know, when I was at the Treasury, I remember we were asking uh, the Federal Reserve like, hey, like this is going to be a problem. We've informed the Biden administration people, uh, hey, this is going to be a problem. And um you know, we got a lot of shrugs. Like it's, you know, they thought it was going to be controllable, but I digress. Hey, Watcher, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to change the order in which this stuff was sent to you. If Can you pull up the Bloomberg Composite uh, Commodity Index first? And I think that'll segue into the conversation about what's going on in markets. Let me reiterate again that neither anything that I say nor, nor what Adam says nor anybody on the panel at this point needs to be construed as investment advice. It's not. Um, we're all living this up and to the right. Uh, and this is a blended commodity index. So it's a broad measure of inflation. It includes wheat, it includes corn, it includes oil, it includes other commodities that aren't doing quite as much in the way of price appreciation. But here's your driver for sort of the pain that's being felt by just about everybody at this particular point. I think gasoline, I may be off a couple cents, but I think we're average nationally now at $4.60, $4.62, something like that. Uh, JP Morgan came out this morning and said that by August it's going to be six twenty a gallon nationwide average. Um, Which means so, $10 in Los Angeles. Yeah, it probably does, it, it's, or something close to that. And, and, and that doesn't really speak to diesel, which is out I, ahead of gasoline at this point. I just want to say that there's been a lot of reports from a lot of parts of the country of many, many, many gas stations upgrading their uh, their their pumps so that yeah. they can have triple digits on the uh, on the price of gasoline. And 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 to a great extent, this is a self inflicted at two levels. This is a self inflicted uh, wound. Um, one of which is the fact that uh, we've simply flooded the market with dollars. For, in some cases for the right reasons in terms of the response to the pandemic, but in some cases just as sort of a follow-on helicopter dollar drop after the Biden inauguration to say that we too, the Democrats, could do something to help folks with the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA. Uh, and, and so that combined with uh, constructs around the supply chain issues and everything else, has really sort of set this on. So here's your driver for the pain you're feeling, and that is stuff is costing more. Now, if we can go then to the two-year note interest rate, we'll sort of, this is all meant to be high level. We'll go through this quickly. 
Um, in response to that, late, but eventually, interest rates have really ticked up. And, and what you see going on with the two-year note has gone on across the curve to one degree or another, the five-year treasury, the 10-year the treasury, the 30-year treasury. And if any of you had to go out and either refi your mortgage or buy a house at this particular point versus what you could have done it at a year ago, you know what's what the 10-year treasury rate increase has done to to mortgage rates. Um, it is it's been it's been tough. I think we're at five. And Adam, keep me honest here. I think we're at five and a quarter for a thirty-year mortgage at this point. Somewhere right. around the, yes, within, right. within you know 10, 15 basis points of of that number, and that prices a whole bunch of people right out of the right out of the mortgage and thus the housing market. Despite that. Housing prices are not really showing any cracks at this particular point because supply is low. People who have the house and the mortgage that they want right now are not really looking to sell unless they're being moved for a job because they know they can't replace that mortgage with anything like what they have currently. So we're, we're in a stagflation scenario in the housing market. That's what it means in many instances. If, if you're like me and you're trying, to, you're trying to do some things elsewhere in the country, um, from a building perspective, it's pretty tough to it's pretty tough to manage because your contractor can't tell you what it's going to cost, when it's going to be finished, um, and so that's a that's a tough thing. Uh, it's a tough thing to do. And and if you're and if you're somebody who is fortunate enough to be holding bonds, because we've had a forty year bull market in bonds, um, the, your statement in terms of what your bond funds have been doing is is critical. Now, the way most people are exposed to financial markets tend to be one of the big three, NASDAQ, S&P, or Dow, and a lot of index funds go into 401ks and one thing and another. And here, this is the NASDAQ, which has been really the beneficiary of both the tech revolution and a lot of free money that just sort of funded the, the development of a lot of companies that have gone public on the NASDAQ. And, and that's a pretty sharp break. Uh, this is indicative of a lot of tech companies that have been darlings for a number of years, certainly since 2010, 2011, 2008, nine re uh, recession area. It's been pretty much up into the up into the right, driven by easy money. A lot of that's been given back. This is this that that last sort of bit is what is and Adam can speak to this as well. That is that's called reversion to the mean which is a fancy way that says you're not going to beat the average over over a period of time. Uh, and, and you'll see a lot of correlation now if you go to the NASDAQ or to the S&P and the Dow. We've seen similar sorts of moves. The Dow has been down for eight weeks in a row. The last time that happened was 1932. And if you know <laughs> anything about history, the late 20s, early 30s were not a great time from an economic perspective. You know, they're talking about buying houses in the chat. I think they're going to have to be buying a hut in a Hoover Hooverville here here soon. Well, I don't I don't know that that's going to come to that. I, I mean, it's that that already exists has existed now for half a decade in California. Um, um, so I, I don't know that that's going to be the the, the piece of this that, that that's going to drive this. But uh, if you look, take the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, and there's a lot of data points that just talk to and probably the one that I look at more carefully is that the survey of small business owners are now 57% expecting a recession and a recession soon. 
So all the happy talk that we get out of um, um, the, the administration about robust this and robust that, the people who have been at the front lines and the people who have survived COVID, small businesses that have survived COVID, have a pretty sharp antenna at this particular point. And they're acting like they're, they're, they're projecting that we're going to be in a recession quickly. So I take that I take that at fair, at, at fair value. What does it mean? I mean, you know, what do you have to do? Is and I don't know each and everybody's um, uh, economic uh, condition, but it, inflation doesn't. It's hard to hide from inflation, no matter who you are. And 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 so it's it's going to be tough. Now we can layer on top of this food shortages. We've got a baby formula thing that we talked about, but there's an expectation that. Food supplies are going to be constrained later in the summer and going into the fall. Uh, we've got a real witch's brew here. And so it, 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 it pays to think outside of the box. This economy is not going to operate the way that this economy has operated since the great financial crisis in 2008 and nine. Let's take this. Yeah. Hey, Lance Corporal Veteran, by the way, thank you for your service. $20 super chat. That ain't cheap. Uh, World Economic Forum panel this morning talking about uh, coming global food shortage. Of course, uh, solutions include eat less meat. Helping foreign economies is okay, but not us for climate change. Uh, Deutsche Welle, I think is what you're saying, news video on YouTube. So uh, we are going to be hitting the WEF uh, stuff in our next topic. Uh, but real quick, I mean, and if you guys want to, you know, just kind of answer the super chat briefly. Um, I think the WEF is a is is really more of a governance, uh, a threat to governance more so than one to the economy. Uh, I think they've got some ideas on the economy, but essentially these are just kind of uh, interesting, uh, you know, progressive takes on on ways to centralize things and make things more efficient. Uh, but that means, uh, you know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. But uh, just real quick, I'll let you guys kind of address this. Well, yeah. I'll let somebody else take it. So. Yeah. So, you know, here's like I've been, you know, I talked to you guys on the, our private chat been talking about this on Twitter spaces for a while now, ever since Russia didn't, you know, have a decisive victory, like the day, you know, when we knew that Russia was going to fail at taking Kiev or at least struggle to do so. Right. Um, you know, this has been something uh, been pounding the table and it's funny because like your WEF type Europeans have been in grotesque denial about this. And even Samantha Powers is, um, uh, comments were surprising to me because she almost admitted that there's going to be a problem, but there's this uh, like institutional lack of knowledge about like how food works. Right. And, um, you know, there's, there's just no adults in the room talking about, uh, what, what this will impact. You know, we don't see the plantings that are necessary for, um, a mitigation of the coming food crisis. It doesn't, you can't just throw food into the ground and expect it to grow on a macro scale. And, you know, like WEF is almost, um, it's, it's like a first mover in terms of like global organizations, surprisingly on this, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's continued half rhetoric about, um, about the, uh, the coming food crisis. And it's, uh, all about austerity measures, right? This, this is a particular European obsession with 
austerity um, as a solution to uh, the world's ills. Um, and, you know, it's this is a crisis that was created by a conflict and its subsequent um, economic um, fallout. And we're we're facing um, tremendous global instability. And these organizations are not just being unhelpful, but they're being damaging because they're not talking about this stuff in a serious and substantial way. This the debate is not happening in the United States. Like that's that's one thing just like surprises me. It's like people uh, members of Congress who sit on these panels and these committees that actually do these types of things are not having these conversations, at least uh, outside of SCIFs, right? Well, they, and this is something that needs to be yeah. happening. Well, so the interesting thing is, is the uh, the locus of the conversation of, about this stuff in America tends to focus on stuff like I'll just share Mayfield Jukes, you know, uh, you know the ESG stuff, right? And 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 the, you know, the kind of uh, WEF partnered actors like BlackRock and Vanguard as they use their their kind of influence on the corporate governance to to kind of sway you know, the economy to do these things, um, you know, that's that's a kind of like a downstream effect of the WEF and the whole the whole governance model that the WEF want and, and the whole idea of essentially eliminating standard uh, capitalism and bringing on this whole idea of stakeholder capitalism. Um, so anyway, the, the point is, is that, um, you know, we're not even talking about the governance piece that the WEF is. And I think these conversations are happening in Europe. Because they're thinking, well, you know, because they're already looking at supranational um, non, you know, losing their sovereignty, giving it up to the EU. So the WEF is just a kind of a, a just a like a greater extension of the of what they're already dealing with with the EU. We, on the other hand, you know, we tend to rest on our laurels and assume that our constitution is going to, you know, preserve our sovereignty. Um, but you know. Uh, even though I think that the whole WHO treaty thing was kind of a little overblown, um, you know, still that's the kind of model for, you know, quietly kind of giving up our sovereignty because we're, you know, we're just assuming that our, our government institutions are, are on our side, but if they're not, then ultimately they could give up the ghost and we would never even have the debate in public. Um, I don't know if that made lot, any lot sense to, at all. Lot, that was a lot a, to unpack there. Um, I, there was a, that was a lot of stream of consciousness there. But yeah, I, 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 I look. I mean, I think I think coming back to what what can people be doing about this? There's a, a lot of good commentary in the chat about being more self sufficient yep. in terms of your your own both uh, management of food um, and and production of food, doing what you need to do in terms of securing your food supply. And, and, and that's, that's, we've talked about that on this channel before. Joe has sort of been pounding the table on that now for at least six months, uh, maybe longer. And, and so I think most folks in this chat who are regulars have an understanding of sort of what you need to be doing from that perspective. From a financial perspective, you just, you need to be nimble. You can't, you can't probably get out of the market in its entirety. You just need to be, uh, this is going to sound corny, but you just need to be diversified. And you probably need to be thinking about how you can get some money into asset classes that you haven't really looked at before, and whether that's private equity or, or, or I, I, would, I, would, I would caution anybody about becoming a commodity trader. 
that's a that's a tough that's a tough play. Uh, but but whether it's real estate, which tends to perform as a, as a as an inflation hedge and also can generate uh, current income, just think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, no, this, is, this is not to go buy the new Banksy NFT or whatever. I don't know. I'm I, I'm telling you the same thing that they said in Gremlins. We're advising all of our clients to put all their money in canned food and shotguns. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing I will say is that I, I, I think and I think Joe would agree with this. It, you know, when we say, uh, you know, become more uh, prepared, um, it's not to be a prepper, you know, and wait for some kind of, you know, global catastrophe that may never come. No, the idea is, uh, you know, is to just become more self-sufficient in your everyday life, right? You know, when so when the little problems happen, you barely even notice them because you didn't have to go down to the grocery store for for a whole month because you've got your own kind of, you know, a you've got some storage that you just kind of draw upon, so your larder is a, a, a much, you know, you know, kind of deeper. But you also have things like a garden and things like that. So the idea is just to become more self-sufficient. Um, though I do, I like the idea of uh, getting involved in private equity, you know, I mean, cause you know, what can go wrong there? <laughs> um, I think this is actually a pretty good opportunity for us to, um, to let Mike, uh, talk about his books, which don't talk about private equity at all. Uh, in fact, they, sh they talk about, uh, you know, very satisfactory kind of ways to deal with all these problems in the world. Uh, in you know, kind of, I, I like to think of your books, Mike, as um, the you know the Al the Alexander the Great solution to all the problems in our world. You know, using the warlock to just kind of cut through the Gordian knot. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of interested in the the WEF commentary or discussion, uh, and, and and I I'll give you a a prediction is. Well, one, uh, we, the United States, will not protect our sovereignty um, uh, and see the WEF or whatever you call it as a threat because because our current administration is complicit to that kind of thought track in the first place. Um, but uh, the other thing that reminded me some of the conversation is you're talking about food shortage and stuff. You know, the baby formula thing is, is a good model um we won't do anything until it's a crisis and then we'll then we'll react and, and when yeah. we're when we are in reactive mode we 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 generally do poorly um that's just you know my commentary from observation i guess and that and, and that drives you know what i write about and why i write i i've observed um you know for 40 years stuff uh, and uh, when there were opportunities and uh, to take advantage of certain uh, of global events, whatever, we did not push hard enough. Uh, so, so, so my books are, are kind of um, different. Um, I, I, I believe in pre preemptive type uh, activity. Uh, and that's and that's what they're about. It, it's about you know taking the initiative uh, and and making shit happen in uh, to our advantage. And and one thing that strikes me, uh, you know, in our conversations, either in the chat uh, quite a bit this morning, or, or just us, um, 
or Adam, you know, mentioned it specifically. Well, who who is our number one enemy? It's China. It's not Russia going into Ukraine. It's China. God damn it. Wake yeah. the fuck up and do something about it uh, before it's too late because we just won't have the the power to do anything and and, and stands um, uh, segment, you know, on 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 our economy. I mean, that we have to be very, we have to be very mindful of that. Because the only reason at all anyone gives a shit about us at this point is because they want us as a market for them to dump all their crap into our country and we'll buy it. And we've, we've got to change that. Um, anyway, uh, my books are, 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 are preemptive activity, non-attributional covert activity, um, sneaky stuff, you know. To, to get away with that's a picture of a rug if, if you all don't uh, recognize that I guess um, so so I've written five books uh, they're a lot of fun um, if you like espionage type stuff and the other comment uh, I didn't chime in that uh, the uh, the Virginia gentleman mentioned about special forces yeah I mean I'd agree that's you know to to to, to specifically um, Put SF guys into the embassy to protect an embassy is a is a gross uh, misappropriation of of resources. That's not where they belong. The Marine Guards that that's what they do is perfectly sufficient. Um, and uh, when I see stuff like that, I, it, I you know just as far as the SF community, it, it kind of pisses me off because I think it's absolutely silly. Um, uh, I mean, and if, if I were Marine, I'd be pissed off. I'd say, Hey man, that's our job. Call, me, my, cra you know. call me crazy, Mike, but doesn't that kind of make that a military target once you start, uh, well, it, 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 a soft it, it, compound? that, and it, and it just the provocation of, Oh, the Americans are sending, you know, special forces to do X, you know, it, it, it's, it's just an unnecessary heavy handed, um, tactic. Uh, it's 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 just silliness, um, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Uh, I I I would say, and of course, I'm being quite selfish, perhaps or biased. The the way that special forces or special mission units are used in my books is probably the right way. Uh, you don't think you don't think pulling guard duty at the gate at the embassy is the highest and best use of special forces? Oh, now, the, for that's a team Bravo. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a a, a, a a quote from Ranger School. That, that's a technique ranger. <laughs> you know, you would have a ranger instructor in RI. They'd say that to yeah. you. You know, if you were a candidate, you know, a, a student, he'd look at you dead in the eye and say, "That's a technique ranger." What he's telling you is, "You're fucked up as a chicken wire canoe. Do what I tell you." Uh, you, you know. Uh, yeah, guard duty at uh, Kiev. That's cool. Awesome. Well, so you know, we we all know the rules of patrolling, and the most last most important rule of patrolling is looking cool doing it. How are you right. supposed to look tactical if you're uh, standing in your post? You well, know, come on, man. I mean, you you can still wear cool sunglasses and and have slightly long hair. So get the operator helmets on. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, know. it's all good. Anyway, uh, it, uh, Scott used the word patronage um, earlier, and I, I love that word because it's, it's good, good word. 
Uh, I, I certainly would love uh, patronage from anyone in, in the in the you know listeners. Um, since you like our discussions, I think I think you'll like the books, and that's enough of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. If you're into the topics we talk about here on the channel. Uh, Mike's books are right up your alley, and like I said, the uh, he he deals with problems in a very satisfactory way. In the real world, we have all these complicated, unsatisfactory solutions that, you know, are, are just kind of a buzzkill a lot of a lot of times. But uh, not in Mike's books, uh, and that's one of the things I really like about them. Um, uh, so definitely check out the the Warlock series uh, over on Amazon. Um, but uh, I bet if if you uh, reach out to him on Twitter, you might be able to figure out a way to get some signed copies uh, if that's uh, if that's up your alley. Um, so thanks a lot, Mike. Um, real quick, hey, sixty six folks here. Uh, I know you guys all haven't hit the like button yet um, because we only have fifty two likes. So. Uh, if you haven't hit the like button yet, please do. If you're new to the channel, give us a, a sub and, and hang around for a while. This is a we've got a great community here, um, and it's and it's and it goes beyond just the chat. We've got the chat, which is amazing, uh, as always. Today's no uh, is no no difference, uh, but we also have a gilded server. Um, and that's a great uh, kind of a kind of cul-de-sac where we can kind of uh, hide out from the rest of the world and, and kind of let our hair down about some of our ideas that, you know, that we don't want to talk about on Twitter and things like that. Uh, nothing, uh, nothing subversive in there. Um, just uh, a lot of fun, a lot of great memes, uh, you know, maybe a little bit uh, political trolling um, that uh, <laughs> that'll keep us that might get us banned over on Twitter. Um, and then we're also, like I said earlier in the show, we're uh, developing our uh, locals right now. Um, go on over there and subscribe to it. I think you, you can subscribe for free, but we also have a uh, I think it is a five dollar uh, supporter level. Uh, and for for that, you will get some exclusive content to, to include both some uh, written um, stuff and also uh, exclusive video content um, that you could only find there uh, on demand uh, after the fact. Um, we'll be doing uh, bonus segments on some of our shows that if you catch it live, you can get it. But as you guys know, sometimes uh, you're not able to catch the live show. So if you want to get those bonus segments... Um, that'll be the only place that you can get those. Um, all right, and then so also we got a website, right? Well, I mean, we don't, we don't, not yet. We we have a domain. We don't have a website yet. All right, so we're developing it. So you know, more more to come. <laughs> exactly. So and then just real, uh, quick, just real go quick, ahead. I just popped this up because I thought it was interesting, given our discussion around inflation and commodities and everything else. Ruble hits a five-year high. So here's, here's despite all of the talk that you hear about the green revolution and Europe's going to move away from, from Russian energy, what's driving this is that the Russians have now said, if you're buying our oil, you're buying our gas, you're paying us in rubles. So there's a great demand for euros to be converted into rubles to pay the Russians for their oil and gas point that out we don't need to dwell on it but uh, have you seen thank- the people have you seen the people trying to say the ruble's really not that strong 
Well, I mean, look. look we won't, there's, we won't there's some of that. There's, Your the, sigh was all I needed to hear. What do, to, what do you want me to say? This is pay no attention to reality. It's what we tell you it is. Well, I mean, I, I, I agree with you there. Overall, that's true. I But like the best lies, it has a glimmer of truth. Like it's not, it's probably not quite as strong as some of the highest projections are saying. It's at a five-year right. high. Right. What was the price of oil and gas five years ago? Oh, I know, but also they're pulling some tricks to do this that they can't keep up forever. Yeah, buck seven, gasoline, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good lord, hold on. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, it hurts. Yeah. So, but, I, I know, I know, we're going a little long in this segment. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, I, let's, I, let's move on. I just, I didn't mean to. This is just one of those little things you throw up as a data point to put in the back of your head that when they tell you that you know we're 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 must sanctions are gonna are going to lay waste to everybody. The Chinese see this too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Adam, I know you, uh, you said you can't stay for the whole time. So, uh, you know, you, you're free to, to stick around as long as you'd like brother. Uh, if you, if you need to just take off, uh, we'll do uh just we'll let, do yeah, I'll pull up Irish when I have to, uh, that's have right. To, uh, dip, you know, so that, uh, you know, there won't even be any smoke. I'll just disappear. <laughs> All right. No, so, sounds great. All right. So the, the next topic is one where I, I, I want. So it's one of the reasons why we invited Gideon on to talk about this topic is because Gideon's been involved in some kind of local kind of more dynamic non-governmental solutions to governance at the at the kind of at the at the level of need. Right. That sounds like insurrection, non-governmental governance. It's that's uh well, but see that—that's just it. When the government abdicates its responsibilities, then it uh, it opens the solutions to communities to create their own solutions, right? Um, so, um, one of the so what I wanted to do is yeah, I wanted they're to called, they're called HOAs, right? <laughs> oh, 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 oh no. Uh, I, what I'm interested in is how many HOA uh, are thinking. Do we need a? Uh, do we need to create a uh, local defense plan? Yeah, uh, right, exactly, um, because that's the kind of thing HOAs need to start getting into. Who is the defense minister for each uh, subdivision? Um, <laughs> there was a cul-de-sac in a book that did that. I'm trying to remember who wrote it. <laughs> well, you, you, unfortunately, you know that the first order of business would be creating a uniform. But go ahead. Well, you, you know, uh, one of one of the guys we're trying to get on as a guest has got a, uh, a, a basically an idea, uh, a book where they do that that getting home series, uh, uh, a, a angry American. He, we're going to try to get him on uh, and and talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, so the idea is is that with this next segment. You know, we, you know, there is, there is definitely, a, you know, democracy is under attack. We've seen it here in America. I don't know if, if you, if you guys have seen Dinesh D'Souza's uh, documentary. Um, he makes some very compelling arguments that, um, that democracy, the actual action of democracy, is under threat, right? Um, and then you've got the, you know, the time, the Times article after the election talking about fortifying the elections which in of itself reeks of just kind of you know corruption at the levels of you know at at the influencer level you know at com at corporate uh you know corruption and things like that um and then you've got the wef of course is our favorite uh 
you know, uh, Bond villain, uh, you know, I always want to call him like Hans Blix. Yeah, I know that's not his name, but he reminds me of the puppet from uh, from Team America. No, you should not make fun of me. No. <laughs> but uh, Hans Blix, um, you know, that's just like the way that uh, Ken Jones said. Um, but, uh, you know, the so we've got him and, you know, and this kind of goes back to the issue of the WF, and I think that this is the one that we ignore the most in America, is that they're thinking of world governance, right? Um, I mean, this is the idea is, is like, we're going to put the, the entire world on a program, uh, and you're going to do what we say. Well, I, I think that most governments are challenged to do anything. Uh, and, you know, one of the, this is where kind of Gideon kind of comes into this, where, I mean, you know, in America, we have fairly functional state and local governments, uh, you know, in some parts of the country. I mean, every, everybody focuses their political ire on the federal level. But ultimately, the government that touches us the most is, is that of the local government. And it's generally fairly competent. Um, but that's not your uh, that's not your experience, right, Gideon? I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your experiences with with government at the local level and the lack of government, and and what are some of the options that you you guys are are working on? So, uh, with regards to how governance works in South Africa, now bear in mind we do we obviously have local governments of, at various tiers and at various stages but the whole thing is still hugely centralized so when we talk about policing it's massively centralized when we talk about a criminal justice system it's massively centralized when we talk about revenue collection it's centralized um including the rail network is centralized in a national railway agency the most hilarious part about it is that about 33% of our national railway infrastructure has been stolen and written off over the, over the past two years because <laughs> we have a hugely, hugely competent minister of transport. Um, he is possibly the politician in this country. I hate the most because he's that stupid. And he, he, he canceled the security contracts. Yeah, exactly. He, he cancelled the security contracts uh, pertaining because in the old days we had railway police. We, we don't have railway police anymore. Yeah, that's the guy. That's him. An absolute paragon of intellect and ability and um, an oxygen thief, if ever I <laughs> met him in my life. And so he didn't he scaled down and canceled a whole bunch of security contracts 33 percent of the railway structure over a third has been written off already what they don't tell you is that the remaining 66 percent is in such a state of disrepair and has been and has been in need of massive expansion for the past two decades that didn't happen so rail infrastructure in this country doesn't exist road infrastructure is going backwards everything that's under central government control is just collapsing in on itself and that is this horrible picture it's painting, but the, the upshot of it is it's caused civil society organizations, communities, and individuals to actually find an action solutions outside of government in order to, to keep the economy going and keep their lives going. And the major problem with that is you're being triple taxed because your income is taxed and then you pay taxes on the taxes you pay. And then you still don't get anything for your taxes. So you have to spend more of your money that is then taxed again by putting in your own infrastructure. Um, the good news is the revenue service is going on strike next week. 
because of <laughs> massive pay disputes. So hopefully they don't come back ever again. Um, but in areas where the government has failed to provide basic stuff and even more complicated things, the private sector and just like volunteer individuals have Could stepped up to the plate and solved the problem. Can we pause for just a second and appreciate for a moment that the South African Revenue Service actually adopted SARS as their, <laughs> I mean, how appropriate, how wonderful. It's it's kind of like the, the SAPs, the South African Police yeah. Service, those poor SAPs. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's a beautiful acronym and it says it all. Um, now, again, like, for example, there's massive flooding in KZN, KwaZulu-Natal province, again now. Like, the second second major floods are, are about to hit, or are hitting. Um, organizations like the National Sea Rescue Institute, the NSRI, it's a private charity. It's been around for decades. They have been pulling people out of their, out of their homes where they've been trapped. They've been doing a lot of the rescue work. A huge number of, of privately funded organizations have been doing much of the heavy lifting on this because the government just isn't capable of doing back when mozambique had major floods i think about 2003 if i recall correctly the south african air force still sent helicopter and chopper crews over the border to go rescue people in mozambique the the air force has been in such a state of disrepair where the, the airframes have either crashed or not been maintained there aren't sufficient pilots there's no fuel to keep the birds in the air has deteriorated to such a point that we can't even scramble enough helicopters to do that type of rescue work in the borders of our own country anymore. That's that's the state of, of the South African Air Force. Um, and again, it's up to private sector efforts to, to keep that going. The great thing about it is it's a bit of a petri dish for America to kind of prove to you guys what is possible with um, a plan and with the correct mindset and with the will to take ownership of either your street, your community, your city, your county, this sort of thing, the, the solution is very scalable. The major thing that it needs is it needs a critical mass of people that feel strong enough about it to actually contribute and be involved. And not just money, but also contribute effort. I mean, the NSRI, for example, is a volunteer-run organization. It's people that volunteer their time and expertise, and they actually get pretty decent training. They give their volunteers very good training, in order to be uh, as effective as they are. And the great thing about it is because of the nature of the work and people involved, it's people that really feel personally quite passionate about this type of rescue work that get involved. The same thing can be said for community safety organizations, for farm watchers, rural security. In the areas where those initiatives are in place, you see massive improvements in rural security you see a huge decline in farm attacks and rural violence in areas where those those structures aren't present or are poorly managed uh you see the total opposite again so if we're going to say the absence of a crisis is the criteria for judging the success of a project like that then that's that's the result we can conclude on no, Watcher, I know you've been kind of chatting back and forth with uh, with Gideon on this stuff. So what um, what are your kind of takeaways on this? 
Well, a, a little bit, just because it's something that I personally have been interested in for a long time. And again, this is going to be controversial, and uh, Watcher's just going to... I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble out there, but uh, in Watcher's well-studied opinion, governments are nothing more than the largest gang in a given geographical area, right? Um, and it just so happens that, like... Yeah, and if you think that's funny, think about it the, this way. Most of the gangs you're thinking of, you're thinking of from the outside, uh, when you're on the inside, it's a little bit different, and there's various different levels of being part of the gang. Um, and honestly, I, I think part of this is is the destabilization that, that is just happening between various different gangs coming along. But I, I, I agree, and I'm very encouraged by this stuff that's happening in South Africa as far as people taking initiative for themselves. I've seen several initiatives like this in the U.S. Actually, I was in contact a number of years ago, long before I was on the council, with a gentleman who was trying to design an app to allow people who had first responder training to form communities to help do specific types of response like that. Like if you have a neighbor who's trained for search and rescue and it just so happens that you have a need for that type of skill, you can put the call out to them before putting it out to authorities. It was an interesting idea and it ultimately failed because we do have quite a robust uh, service network here, at least we had a more robust service network here at the time. I think this was 2014 era that I was talking about. But um, I, I think it's worth exploring. I, I think that if nothing else, we have stuff like this, the, the Civil Air Patrol here that I believe is a non-governmental organization. I'm going to have to look further into it. They, they run themselves a little paramilitary-ish. But uh, we, there, there are a lot of examples of things like this. And in fact, a lot of the things that are now government institutions at one point in our history used to be ran by individuals on a community basis like this. Um, I, I, I see no reason to not have, we, we talk about diversifying in finance, we talk about diversifying in every other type of thing. Why don't we talk about diversifying in uh, uh, some of the organizations that we depend on? I well, don't know. You know, so, I mean, there are some, some kind of famous examples of these kind of, you know, these kind of collective solutions um, that become quasi-government or agencies, like the Red Cross is a great example. Excellent. Uh, you know, I mean, now you could argue that the Red Cross doesn't do a very good job. Well, uh, and I would say that's an excellent example of of uh, what happens when governments take over something. Uh, I, I don't know. I think my uh, my uh, my science teacher in high school said it the best. If you put the government in charge of a, a, a beach within five years, you'd have a critical shortage of sand. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean, you know, the Red Cross is not a government agency. It's not controlled by the government. But in some places, I think it is. Um, it, in America, it's not. It's a, you know, it's a pri private nonprofit organization. But, you know, but there are there are good examples of this. But the problem is, is that so often, you know, in order for these, you know, they become political. They have to be big in order to operate at scale. You know what? You know I think Gideon's really looking at are these local solutions. Even if like you know this example of the the sea rescue stuff, right? You know where you know that's a very widely distributed organization, but ultimately it's acting at the local level. Well, that's um, that's exactly it, Scott. If I just interrupt you there, it's all staffed, ran, managed. Um, everything is done at the local level. The fundraising is national, but. It's it, there's also an element of you get to tell them where you want your money to go if you're a donor for the most part, which is a yeah. great way of, of, of uh, 
keeping and they're quite transparent about it and to add to to watch's point and yours i think if a non-governmental organization starts flying a bit too close to the sun or gets too big it does start behaving like a government for maybe one of two reasons one as you point out it needs to start greasing palms to to get more of what it wants or two the organization really outgrows the ability of the people uh, in charge of it to effectively manage it and you start ending up with amateur hour and this again a form of centralization that that kills off um its ability to be flexible uh, agile and and respond quickly to to things going wrong um to add again to watch's point about government being the you know just a big gang a major problem we have domestically our next major national general election is 2024 um there's it's almost impossible to predict exactly what's going to happen in it but a great many people sort of look at that as the next thing there's this sort of citizen apathy where we think we seriously think still after 27 years of decline that we can somehow magically vote ourselves out of the shit right sorry for my language but i mean it's <laughs> you know. and if you, if you look at the level of deterioration decay and outright destruction of infrastructure institutions uh just the the cultural shift within institutions pertaining one that was once focused on effectiveness and excellence and professionalism versus you're just coming to work because it's a job and you've got a guaranteed paycheck because you work for the government and there's no no one's gonna hold and you accountable for anything. yeah yeah well exactly. and, and and you got it because you're friends with someone and hold the right ideology that is exactly that that becomes entrenched in a institution you know that what was the wonderful thing you guys caught in the states it's is it sick ship syndrome or something but um the thing is that no matter who you rotate in or out of it now like there is an embedded endemic culture of of being bad at this i don't think if we had a complete change of government in 2024 and we had a Western liberal democracy type vibe going on, which I hope to God we don't, because if I look at how that's worked out for Australia, New Zealand, Canada, <laughs> right. um, you know, that could just make things worse. I don't think there's any chance of them turning the ship around here. Um, the only people who can is if we die, devolve everything down to local level, take ownership of it and make government irrelevant, really. 